Good morning. If you'll turn with me, please, to John chapter 19, verse 17. That's John chapter 19, verse 17. So they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. to see you here this morning. Weather is somewhat a lot different from last Sunday. We're glad that you are here. Those of you who are tuning in, we're glad that you're here. Visitors, we are certainly happy that you have come our way. Hope that you'll stay and visit with us for a few minutes afterwards. You know, there's a day every year that many people, the world actually celebrates time comes either at the end of March or first part of April, and that is Easter. And what they're representing is, they say, it's the resurrection of Christ. That particular uh, holiday is, is celebrating the resurrection of Christ. And I'm glad that they use that day and that time to focus on Christ. But as important as Christ's resurrection was, and make no mistake, that resurrection was important, for it was by his resurrection that Christ conquered Satan. You go back to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. There's something that is rates higher than that in, is in importance. The resurrection is important, but the death of Christ is even more important. Because think about it. Without his death, there wouldn't have been a resurrection. From the beginning of time, God had a plan. He would send his son into the world to be our ultimate sacrifice. Christ would come and die, shed his blood for us, that we could have hope of salvation and hope of eternal life. Indeed, the death of Christ had to happen for there to be a resurrection and for us to have a hope of eternal life. And so the resurrection could not have happened without the death of Christ. And even though the death of Christ is of more importance than perhaps the resurrection, it's not his death that I want to talk about this morning either. But rather, it is the instrument by which he died upon. And that is the cross. There are many songs in our songbook about the cross. We, we sang one of them this morning. But there's other songs like The Way of the Cross Leads Home. The old rugged cross, the one that we sang this morning. When I survey the wondrous cross, 
or beneath the cross of Jesus and so, so many more. But these songs remind us of the cross and what it means for us. It was a cross by which the Romans put Christ upon. They could have chose some other death, but they chose the cross. Did you know that the cross and the word gospel are equal? Because you see, it took the Christ dying on the cross to give us hope of eternal life. And today it takes the gospel preached to help man understand what they need to do to be saved. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, and verse 21. And so this morning, I want to look, I want all of you to picture in your mind, if you will, the cross. And in doing so, I want to answer four questions. Number one, why did, what did the cross mean for Christ? Secondly, why did Christ endure the cross? Thirdly, what the cross means to men. And fourthly, what the cross means to Christians. So let's look at what did the cross mean to Christ. And many might say, well, that's a ridiculous question. We know what it means. It meant death. And that's true. But it meant more than that. You see, the cross was more, the cross was more than just a slab of wood that he carried on his back for a short period of time and that he was crucified upon. You see, for him, for Christ, the cross was shame. It was shame. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 tells us that he endured the cross, despising the shame. Christ did nothing to be ashamed about. He lived upon this earth. He just did his Father's will. He did what his father told him to do. Nothing to be ashamed about. And yet, upon that cross, he suffered shame. He was arrested in the garden, taken and given a mock trial, made to look like he was guilty of something that he was guilty of nothing. Mocked by the Roman soldiers, put a crown of thorns upon his head, scourged, and then made to carry his own cross until he was so weak he couldn't carry it anymore. Put upon that cross, his hands nailed, his feet nailed to it, and it was raised upon that cross. It was shame. Shame for someone to die upon a cross and for Christ died upon that cross. It was indeed that. It was shame. But not only was it a shame, it was a curse. For Christ to die upon that cross, it was a curse. Galatians 3 and verse 13 says, Christ became a curse for us. Deuteronomy chapter 21 and verse 23 says, He that is hung is a curse to God. He was a curse. It was a curse to him. You see, the word curse here means torment. Christ was tormented by hanging on the cross of Calvary. Christ was made a curse for us that we might receive the, pray, the promise 
Galatians chapter 3 and verse 14, the promise of eternal life. If Christ hadn't died upon that cross, there would not have been that promise for us of eternal life. And though he suffered as a curse and suffered torment, he did it because he knew that it would give man a promise of eternal life. It wasn't for naught. He knew that there would be something better for man. And so it meant to him not only shame, it meant to him not only a curse, but it meant to him suffering. And that would go without saying because we understand the suffering that he did upon a cross. In Luke chapter 24 and verse 46, and Matthew chapter 16 and verse 21, it says that Christ should suffer many things. He suffered many things while he was upon the earth, but he suffered even more when he died upon the cross at Calvary. The book of Hebrews, what we've been studying on Wednesday night, in Hebrews chapter 2 and in verse 9, there Paul, uh, the writer, I say Paul because I believe Paul may be the one who wrote the book, but we don't know for sure. But in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9, it says, But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. We need to praise God that he was able and willing to send his son into the world. And we need to thank Jesus for being able and wanting to suffer on the cross for, as it says, everyone. He died for us. He died for you. He died for me. He died for all of those sinners in the world. He was willing to suffer for them that they might have a hope of eternal life. Christ suffered the anguish of the cross. You know, you already know this, but it wasn't the Romans who invented the crucifixion. They just perfected it. It was a slow death. And that's why they chose the cross for Jesus instead of choosing some other means of death. They wanted him to die slow. And on that cross, we saw the human side of Jesus as he's suffering, as he's pushing up to try to grasp that breath that he's losing. And he finally, he, he becomes thirsty because that's part of being on the cross. You become dehydrated, you become thirsty, and he asked for water, and they gave him a sponge full of vinegar. He was thirsty. He was in pain. We saw his human side. Christ suffered the anguish on the cross for us. For you, for me, that we might have that hope of eternal life. And so the cross meant suffering for him, and he did it willingly for us. He could have told his father as he did in the garden. He said, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass for me. He didn't want it, but he said, whatever your will is, Father, that's what I'll do. And it was his father's will that he would die upon that cross. And you need to even wonder what was going through his mind while he was on that cross. But it not only meant suffering, it also meant humiliation. Acts chapter 8 and verse 33. Christ hanging on the cross 
was falsely accused of what he'd done. He'd done nothing wrong. We've already mentioned that. But he's hanging on the cross. And at the foot of that cross is his mother. Is the apostles. Or the friends that he had. And on top of that, he's hanging in the middle. And on each side of him, there were two thieves. And the one thief says, you know, we're here because we deserve what we're getting. But this man did nothing wrong. It was that same thief that said, remember me when you're, when you die. What humiliation that had to be. To be hanging on the cross between two thieves that deserved what they were getting and Christ was not. And yet, there he was. His mother looking up at him, his apostles. And on top of that, he was being mocked by the Roman soldiers and others. If you are who you say you are, come down off the cross. Oh, he could have. Song says he could have called 10,000 angels. He could have. But he didn't. He took that humiliation. We talked a little bit about that in Bible class this morning under, under love. When, As Christians, as we're uh, mocked or, or we're uh, criticized, how do we handle that? Well, look how Christ handled it. On the cross of Calvary, he handled it to the point of he didn't call those angels. He laid upon that cross. He was hanging on that cross ready to die for me. And then, as we mentioned in class this morning, as he died on that cross and looked down just before his death, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He was suffering humiliation and yet still was thinking of those around him. He had no one to turn to. Even his father turned away for just a minute to let him die upon that cross. Total humiliation. How hard that must have been for him to suffer that humiliation. And so it not only meant shame or a curse or suffering or humiliation, but it certainly meant death. He wasn't going to come off that cross alive. Romans were going to make sure of that. Ultimately, the cross led Christ to death. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 8. John chapter 19, 17 through 34. But he died that we might have eternal life. Had he not died upon the cross of Calvary, we would not have a hope of eternal life. But Christ died upon that cross because he loved his father and he wanted to do what his father wanted him to do. But he also loved mankind. And he knew that dying upon that cross... Shedding his blood would give man a hope of eternal life. And so that's why Christ, what the cross meant for Christ. That's why he suffered what he suffered on that cross. But why did he endure the cross? Well, you say you kind of already answered that. Yes, in some ways. But he endured the cross because it was to be glorified. 1 Timothy 3 and verse 16 says, Christ, Christ received up, he was received up in glory. 
1 Peter 1, 21 says, God raised Christ from the dead and gave him glory. It wasn't the kind of glory that he was boastful about. It wasn't to draw attention to himself. Christ didn't want any attention. But it was to give men a hope of something better. Something better than what they had. You know, up until he died on the cross, they were living under the old law. And if you're familiar with the old law, you know that they had certain sacrifices for certain things that they did. And that those sacrifices had to be made perfect. And they weren't easy to keep. And so when Christ died upon the cross, the old law went out of effect in the new law. The new covenant as we live under now came into effect. And many think the new covenant is hard to keep, but it's not near as hard as the old covenant was. It's so much easier. It's a betterment. And that's what the book of Hebrews was about. And so he, he died, he endured the cross to be glorified, but he endured the cross to bring reconciliation. Ephesians 2 and verse 1, Isaiah 59 and verse 20 tells us that sin separates man from God. Sin is missing the mark. God does not tolerate sin. He can't tolerate sin. And man needed to be reconciled back to him. And so Christ had to endure the cross to become our reconciliation. He died to bring that reconciliation. Ephesians 2, 13 through 17. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 17 says he was made reconciliation for us. He made reconciliation for us. We need to thank him for wanting to die upon the cross, for wanting to be our propitiation, if you will, to be our person to die for us. Because you see, the blood that he shed upon the cross of Calvary, as we remember that, as we did this morning and as we do every first day of the week, as we remember that blood that was shed, it's a complete washing away of our sins. It's a continuing event. It continues to wash away our sins as we repent of those things and ask God to forgive us. We we don't have to do what they did in the Old Testament. Every time they sinned, they had to take that sacrifice to the high priest and offer it up. Christ became our ultimate sacrifice to be bring reconciliation to us. He endured the cross to make peace. Colossians 1 and verse 20. Ephesians 2 verses 14 and 15. He endured the cross to draw man to him. John chapter 12 and verse 2. Many today follow the leaders who died, but Christ not only died, but he arose and now sits on the right hand of God the Father, and we should want to draw near to him because of what he did for us. He endured the cross to ratify and seal the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 22. Christ became our ultimate sacrifice. God's plan from the very beginning to have his son die on the cross for us. He endured the cross so that we might have that great ultimate sacrifice. So what does the cross mean to me?
We've seen what it means to Christ, and we saw why he endured. What does it mean to, to man? Let's bring it down more on a personal level. What does it mean to us? Well, we've kind of already alluded to this. It means the end of the old law. Hebrews 10, 7 through 22. says he takes away the first to establish the second. Colossians 2 and verse 14. Christ nailed the old law to the cross. And even though we study the old law today, the Old Testament, we live under the new. But we need to understand what they did in the old law in order to understand how much better we have it under the new law, under the new covenant that Christ shed his blood for. He nailed it to the cross. The cross to man means a betterment. A betterment. And the book of Hebrews 13 times mentions that word better. There's something that's better. And that's what Paul, or the writer there, was trying to get across, is that you were living under the old law, now you're living under the new law, and you must understand how much better that new law is than the old law. Man is always looking for something better. Always looking. There's nothing better than what we have right now. There's not going to be a better law than the law that we have right now, the law that Christ shed his blood for, the new covenant. We need to look to it. We need to see what does it tell us that we need to do. How are we supposed to live our lives? How do we get to heaven? How do, well, this is a road map. The New Testament is a road map to heaven. It tells us how to get to heaven. All we have to do is follow and do what it says. But the cross means the end of the old law to man. It also, and it means the betterment. It makes available the power of God to us. Romans 1 and verse 16. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 18. Through the gospel, the gospel of Christ, we have the availability of hearing what we must do. Paul said in Romans 1 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. To them that hear. It is the power of God unto salvation. You want to get into heaven? It's not through making those sacrifices. It's not through through uh, the blood of bulls and goats, but it's through the blood that Christ shed upon the cross. It's now, it's through hearing the gospel and obeying it and doing what it says. That's what the cross means to man because without it, we have no way to get to heaven. It made available the power of God to us. But it also means a separation. You see, it separates the Christian from the world. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14. We have to live in this world, but we can set good examples. We don't have to be a part of the world as it is today. And as we look at the world and we continue to watch it, it continues to get worse. But as Christians, we stand up for what's right. We boldly stand up for God's word. We boldly proclaim it. We boldly live it. And so it separates us from the world. It separates good from evil. 2 Corinthians 6, verses 14 through 18. Good and evil. 
It's always existed. From the beginning of time, there's been good. God created everything good, and he said, it's good. But then Satan comes into the picture, and things become bad. And so from that point on, we've seen that the world's, there's always been good, and there's been bad. And there's times if, if you continue to watch the news, you see more bad than you see good, because they don't want to report good. But we as Christians must stand up and proclaim good and goodness because that's what the cross means for us. It separates us from the world. It separates the good from the evil. It opens the gates of heaven. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. You see, without the cross, man will not have a way to heaven. And that's what the cross means to us. I want to get to heaven. I hope that you do too. We have to live a life that is pleasing to God. We can't be perfect. We're not going to be perfect. The Bible makes that clear. But we strive to do the best that we can. And we pray that on the day of judgment, the Lord says, Well done, thy good and faithful servant, because of his mercy, because of his grace, because of his love, and because of the life that you strive to live, the Christian life you strive to live, he says, well done, enter ye herein. That's what the cross means to me. Because without that cross, we wouldn't hear those words. Well, what does the cross mean to Christians? What does it mean to Christians? We saw what it means to man, but, but now uh, you're a Christian. You, you followed God's pattern of what he set down for us to do to become a Christian. And now you're trying to live the life the best that you can. So what does the cross mean to Christians? Number one, it means that we have to bear that cross. The Lord never said it would be easy for us to live a Christian life. He, he, and, uh, and really, he said you must count the cost. Count the cost. Look at what it's going to cost you to be a Christian. But in the end, it's going to be well worth it. You may have to give up your family. You may have to give up your job that you're working. Uh, you may have to give up so many other things to bear the cross of Christ. Matthew 16, verse 24. Luke 14, verse 27. To be a disciple of Christ says we must bear his cross daily. Bear that cross. That's what it means as Christians. We must do. We can't bear it just on Sundays and Sunday nights and Wednesday nights. Anytime we get together, it's an everyday affair. But we must bear the cross of Christ. Matthew 10, 38 says, To be worthy of Christ is to take up the cross and follow after him. Christ suffered for us. The apostles, you think and read about them and the suffering that they did to a point that they were put to death. And maybe we don't know what what's going to happen in the future. Maybe that we'll be going in prison as they were back then for teaching and preaching and living the Christian life. And maybe there'll be other things that will happen to us, but we've got to stand up and bear the cross of Christ if we intend to get to heaven. But as Christians, not only must we bear it, we must suffer for it. Galatians 6 and verse 12 says, We will suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. Matthew 5 and verse 10, in the Beatitudes, Jesus said, 
Blessed are those who suffer persecution. Happy we should be to suffer persecution for the cross. In some ways today, Christians are already suffering persecution with the laws that are being made and with the things that the world is doing. But yet we need to understand that that's what it means to be a Christian. That's what the cross means to Christians is that we must suffer for it and do what the Lord has said we must do in order to get into heaven. We must thoroughly avoid being an enemy of it. We can't be an enemy of the cross. You see, Philippians 3, 18 and 19 says, Those whom follow after earthly things are enemies of Christ. If there's one person or one individual you don't want to be an enemy to, that would be Christ. Because in the end, he judges us for all that we do. And I will say this, that if you this morning are in this auditorium and you're not a Christian, you are an enemy of Christ. That's not me saying this, and I'm saying it out of love. That's what the Bible says. Because you're of the world. And the world is full of sin. And Jesus and the Lord cannot tolerate sin. Therefore, you would be an enemy. But you can rectify that by becoming a Christian. You don't want to be God's enemy because it will bring destruction to you. If you were to go back to the Old Testament and read how Jesus, how God would take care of his people. And so many of those battles, the Lord, it was the Lord fighting those battles. And he would destroy the entire people that, uh, that they were fighting against, that his people were fighting against. He would destroy them. You don't want to be on the bad side of God. You don't want to be his enemy. And so the cross to a Christian means avoid being an enemy of it. But it also means to glory in it. But not to, in a manner of boasting. We don't boast about being a Christian. Christ never did. You don't boast in it. But you glory in it. Paul glorified in a cross, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14. 1 Peter 4, verses 13 through 16. Verse 16 says that we glorify God not to be ashamed, but we glorify Him. If you are ashamed of glorifying God, then you're not living the life you need to live. The cross to a Christian means to glory in it. Stand up for what's right. Preach the word boldly. Live the Christian life boldly. Share it with others. Do what you can as a Christian because that's what God expects of us. That's what the Lord would expect of us as he died for us, shed his blood for us. And if we're not doing that, then we continue to crucify him each day because we're not living the life that we should. Yes, the cross of Christ is not just a slab of wood it is much, much more. And as we see pictures of that cross, sometimes you'll go on the side of the road and you'll see a cross, or maybe you'll go to a, uh, a place that they have one up. That cross is not just a slab of wood. It means a whole lot more. And we need to be grateful for the cross 
And we need to thank God for it. Because without it, there would be no hope. There would be, there would not have been a resurrection. And there would have been no redemption. Remember this. The way of the cross leads home. The way of the cross leads home. If we follow after the pattern that is set down for us as Christians to follow, the pattern for men to follow, which is written in the New Testament, you follow after that pattern, you don't defer from it. You do your best to live that life. Then the way of the cross leads home. But you can't be there cross until you become a Christian. And the way to become a Christian is to follow the plan of salvation that Christ set down for us, to hear the word, to believe that he is the Son of God, to confess that Jesus, you believe on him, and when you confess that Jesus is who he is, you repent of your sins, make a complete change, you're baptized into the watery grave of Christ and it says that those sins are washed away they're remembered no more you come up out of that water a child of Christ a Christian and then you begin to live the obedient life to him you cannot go back living the life that you live you have to live a Christian life strive to be as Christ was do the best that you can live the Christian life follow the word that is written. You bid farewell to the way of the world. That's part of that song. The way of the cross leads home. And you bid farewell to the way of the world. And you begin to live your Christian life. As Christians, I'll ask you this. Are you suffering for Christ daily? Look into your life and ask yourself, am I really suffering for Christ? Do people see Christ living in me each day? Am I bearing his cross? Am I doing what he wants me to do? Do people see him living in me? The cross. Not just the instrument on which Christ died. It means so much more than that. This morning... As we stand and sing this invitation song, the Lord's invitation is open for you. And if you are here and you are not a Christian, what better time to become one than this morning to follow his plan? If you're considering and want to study more, we'd love to study with you about it. Maybe you're here this morning and you put on the Lord of baptism but found that you're not carrying your cross daily. And you want the prayers of the congregation to help you to be a better Christian, to carry that cross, and ask the Lord to help you to be to bear that cross. Whatever your need is, we ask that you come as we stand and as we sing.